Welcome to another episode of Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop. This is season 10, where we are looking to the next 10 years of Elixir. We'll be talking with our guests about what the first 10 years might tell us about the future of Elixir. Hey everyone, I'm Sandy Miet, Engineering Manager at SmartLogic. And I'm Owen Bickford, Senior Developer at SmartLogic. And we're your hosts for today's episode. Today we're joined by Hugo Baruna, founder at Elixir Radar and Livebook team member, and Lucas Sanroman, Senior Software Engineer at Felt. In this episode, we're discussing the next 10 years of the Elixir community. Welcome, guys. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Yep, thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk about this subject, particularly I've been in the Elixir community for about three years now, maybe four years. I can't count. Four years. And, you know, people talk about the Elixir community being a very welcoming and open space. And so this, you know, 10 years is a long time to develop that kind of culture and that community. And so looking towards the future, we're very excited to see what people's thoughts are on contributions that can be made and and changes that can be made. So Hugo, why don't you uh, start us off? Can you tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then Lucas will we'll get to you next. So yeah, I'm Hugo. I'm from Brazil. I started with Elixir since the very beginning, actually. I was one of the co-founders of Platform Attack, together with Jose and two other college friends. So I saw Elixir's birth, and I've been part of the community since the very beginning. And at this moment, I am running Elixir Raider and being part of the Lifebook team. Great. Thank you. Lucas, what about you? Who are you? Where are you? And where are you in the Elixir space? I'm Lucas San Roman. I live in Argentina. It's a, in a small town near the Buenos Aires city, which is the capital of the country. I work as a senior Elixir engineer at Felt, the map making company. And on the Elixir, I am the creator of the source error library for AST and source code manipulation. And I'm a staff member at the Elixir Discord. The theme of today in the context of the future of Elixir in the next 10 years is community. So we'll touch on kind of different parts of the community, but just as a baseline, like what I think attracted me to Elixir in the first place was actually probably the community, just as much as the language itself. Before I was really kind of, when I was brushing up on fundamentals of trying to become an engineer in the first place, I started seeing Elixir, it started popping up in my feeds, started watching videos and reading blog articles from folks and really getting invigorated by that. The Elixir community has a special place in in my mind, but I'm kind of curious when we think of the Elixir community, there's so many different kind of corners of the community. What are some of the corners or parts or aspects of the community that come to mind? So when I think about the Elixir community, I also think about it being a friendly community. So Elixir started with Jose, as we all know, Jose Voling. And before Elixir, Jose and I and everyone at Platform Attack, we were part of the Ruby community. And being part of the Ruby community, I remember one of the things that I really liked about it was this thing called Mads is nice, so we are nice. And Mads being the creator of Ruby. So that's a statement that lots of Ruby people know about. So Mads is nice, so we are nice. And I think that Jose continues to embody this in some way to in the Elixir community. So maybe Jose is nice, so we are nice. So I think everyone tries to be as nice as they can 
when talking to others and welcoming members of the community. So that's one aspect that I always think about when we are thinking about the Elixir community. Any other aspects about innovation? So I think since the very beginning, the idea was that Elixir wasn't going to be just about web development. So web development was the thing that we most knew about when with Jose, we were working with us at Perform Attack and everyone. So we were doing web development with Ruby and Rails, but we wanted Elixir to be more than web development. And the community did that in lots of ways. It innovated with NURBS in the embedded space. And then Chris created LiveView, which kind of reinvented the way that we do web apps. And now we have LiveBook. So I think innovation is also a very important aspect of the community. So that's what came to my mind, a friendly and innovative community. That's interesting. I think that's a great entry point into the conversation because in my mind, I'm thinking like, you know, the the slacks, the discords, the conferences, but I think at the even higher level, just the kindness that trickles down from the top and throughout the entire community and also innovation. I think you hit the nail on that. That's what attracted me to Elixir as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lucas, what about you? What comes to mind when you think about the Elixir community? I think, well, of course, the kindness in general of the community is the first thing that comes to mind. And I also agree that, in, in a way, Jose is the embodiment of that maxim of the community. And the other thing that comes to mind is, in general, a community that cares a lot about the long-term stability of the ecosystem. And it shows a, a lot in a lot of principles that we have in the language and that we as a like the member participating in the community follow. So for example, the principles of ECTO or plug connections, and now more recently NX are all very foundational parts of the that the rest of the ecosystem builds upon. And that hasn't changed in a lot of years, like almost in the beginnings of, of this project. So that focus on stability is also a very strong property that I see in the community. And that's one of the main reasons that I really like this community a lot. It's interesting that you you said that friendliness is one of the core thoughts that comes to mind, both of you. I, I totally agree. And I never thought about how role models can influence that. I've always heard and, and known that Jose was nice. And I didn't think about how that trickles down until just now. So that was a really good point. I think what strikes me about the Elixir community as well is that everyone is fairly knowledgeable. And if they're not, if they don't know something, they're willing to jump in on it with you. Like if they don't know exactly the thing, it's not just a friendliness. It's also a curiosity. I don't know how to put a point on this, but I feel like Elixirists are generally curious. We love a challenge. They love a challenge. They really want to dig in. They don't particularly accept things as they are, and they always want to know more. And that comes, that shows up the most in like these Slack or Discord communities when people are trying to debug something with you and they, for the most part, are fairly patient with a beginner or somebody who just is running into an issue and they're not quite figuring something out. Lucas, you're involved with the Elixir Discord, correct? Yep. I met a moderator on that Discord. Is it a main moderator or is there a number of moderators on the Discord? We have a small team of moderators, but there isn't like a hierarchy of moderators. 
Of course, there, there is the server owner, but there's really no, no, distinct, no difference between us. Gotcha. What is it like moderating the Elixir Discord? And what kind of conversations do you see and interface with? Well, on one hand, thanks to the functional kindness of the community, I don't have to do a lot of work on it. But most of the conversations happening are questions from people, more often than not, newcomers to a language or to some specific framework. And the question are, how does this library work? How does this particular part of OTP work? A lot of the time, people are reading the documentation or the uh, getting started guides. So when they, they get stuck, we help them go through the guides until everything is clear. So for the most part, that is what is happening on the Discord. It's most, mostly like a support chat, uh, so to speak. So most of the questions, yes, are questions about the language or some library. I'm curious, one of my favorite features when I'm on like day-to-day when I'm working with my coworkers in Slack is huddles. When people kind of get stuck on a problem they can't fully express with words, do you see people jumping into video calls in Discord to kind of work out problems? Or is, I don't even know if that would be visible in the channel, but is that something that happens there? We have a voice channel on the server, but that is very rarely used, if ever. I have never shown a group voice chat on this Discord server. I think one of the main difference, either like in etiquette, etiquette or the community between Slack and Discord, is that in general, in Slack, uh, it's more targeted towards organizations or people that somewhat know each other in, in one way or, on a, or another. While in Discord, it's more geared towards communities of complete strangers. So it's not that easy to get people to join into a call with you because nobody knows each other. That's the impression that they get in general. So we don't have huddles. We have pre-created um, voice channels. One thing that you can do in Slack is say, okay, we're talking about this topic. Let's jump into a group chat and you invite only the people participating in that call. In Discord, the only way to do it is from outside the server. So you have to create a group voice chat that is your group, and then you invite the other people. And sometimes you have to send a friend request and they have to accept it, and then only then they can join your call. So I think that is kind of like a barrier to get this kind of more real-time voice in interaction between people. There's a lot of steps that are in place to protect people from complete strangers from abusing the system and maybe making people uncomfortable. Slack, on the other hand, you already know these people, so you have an issue you resolve it with the uh, organization administrators. On Discord, it's more like you expect random people to join all the time. I've really never thought about the fact that Slack is people you know and Discord is total strangers. I knew they were both there and I didn't know. I just thought people, some people like Slack, some people like Discord. I've never thought about it. Hugo, do you prefer one or the other? Have you Are you involved in, in either? Yeah. So I'm always online in the Elixir Slack community. I'm usually not online in Discord's one. And I can, so Owen was asking about using other channels besides texts. And I think it's the most, we all know that it's most common to use text, but I have a story about what's help, was more easy for me to use via video call with another community members once. Because I'm always mainly in the live book channel on Slack. And there was this guy who was having a problem using Livebook to connect to Amazon Athena. 
and I was trying to help him. It was very hard to reproduce his book because we had to access his own database to do it. So I asked him, hey, so what, what about if we chat through a video call and then you show me? So we, we did that and eventually opened up PR on our integration with Akatina and solved the problem. But it's most common to do text because otherwise we shouldn't assume that people would be there to help us 24-7 through video and everything. So it depends on each other's time. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I definitely have been in the Elixir Slack before, saw one of my friends was online and was like, hey, can I ask you a question about a query? Or I wrote something that looks weird and I, I'm just pretty sure we talked about this recently. Do you have like 15 minutes to look at it? And they'll usually say no or yeah, in five minutes or something. We'll jump on a huddle. We'll catch up for a bit. We'll solve the issue. And then we'll move on. But I'm comfortable doing that with my friends that I've met over the years at ElixirConf and all those things. But I don't think I could do that in a Slack or Discord channel. But that's probably a me problem. <laughs> yeah. And I think your personal choice of Slack versus Discord might also be partly involved with like, what does your day job use? Like there are some teams that actually do use Discord for their kind of internal communications. I can imagine if I was in Discord all day for that, I would probably have the Elixir channel open there as well. We should probably lay out what discords we're in as like a fun exercise because I've got like the Elixir one, the Flutter one, my nail polish group, a gardening group, and a workout group. Like those are the discords wow. I'm in. And I am not actively like looking at them. I open them like once a month <laughs> to go see what's going on, catch up on all of the things, shift escape them all so yeah. they clear out <laughs> and then move on. Yeah, I, I'm in Discord so rarely that I usually have to sign in every time I open the app because, it, you know, maybe may a couple months, mm -mm. but I'm in Slack all the time. Lucas, <laughs> are we killing you? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, not really. It's fine. You got multi-screen. You got Slack over here, Discord over there. You're just like, you know, running them all at the same time, I'm sure. I tell you, used to get notifications from everything, so I cannot like swipe my mouse to it until the talk appears and check, okay, I have one here, three here. Just quickly check them and then go to some other thing. Since developers tend to have multiple devices, you should take one of your devices and make it no notifications. My iPad doesn't notify me for a damn thing. <laughs> nothing. No Messenger, no Slack, nothing. No calendar, just just nothing. And it is a beautiful device, and it's probably why I use it so much. Yeah, I personally mute notifications on everything that I have and only enable them for things that I actually care about. So for instance, on Discord, I have every single server that I join mute, except for the, the Elixir server in case I'm tagged, because like I'm a moderator. And like my work Slack, but everything else is muted. So if I get a notification, most of the time it's actually something that I, I may care about. But by the way, since we're talking about Discord, I think it, there's a good chance that a listener will know about that, but Discord is built with Elixir. They are big users of Elixir, so I don't know. Maybe that that's we influence the choice. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, sometimes I write a blog article. They're like, "Hey, look at how great Elixir is and all the things we can do." And I'm like, "Hey, we should be using Elixir." <laughs> of course, I get to do that. I get to use Elixir all the time now. But I've been an Elixir evangelist, and I've used those articles to try to make the case. You know, it's hard to convince people sometimes. So we've talked a little bit about you know the kind of the real time communication channels. Another great resource for the community is some of our newsletters and Elixir Radar is an excellent resource for keeping your ear to the ground or seeing the pulse of the community. Where did Elixir Radar start? 
you're the founder, right? So I guess you created it. And like, how's your experience been maintaining it over the years? Yeah. I think the Lix Creator is probably the oldest Lix newsletter we've created content at this moment in the community. There was one before that, but I think it's not it's not running anymore. But so Lexerita was born inside Butterform Attack. And I was back at that time, I think it was 2004, 2015, I think. I was I was also in charge of marketing at Butterform Attack, although I am a software engineer by by training. And the idea was people knew a lot about Elixir, the members of the community. But they sometimes, lots of the times, they didn't know that the company behind the language. So we wanted to have something that showed that Elixir was being built by this company. And also, I as a Ruby developer before Elixir, I always like it Ruby Weekly, another newsletter from the Ruby community. So I wanted to have something like Ruby Weekly in the Elixir community. And that's how Elixir started as um project that uh, was a partnership between the marketing and the development team of Platform Attack. And, but in 2020, our company, we was acquired and I decided, I asked my other partners to continue to run the newsletter just by myself. So I've been doing that since 2020. Yes, I think almost yeah, three years. So that that's how it started. And and that's the second phase of it, which is like a solo project at this moment. Where do you get your Elixir news? Do you follow some statuses or do you have some Google alerts? How do you find out what's new in the world of Elixir? Yeah. Jose calls you. <laughs> he, he, used, he used it to do that. You know, back in the platform tech days, <laughs> he was helping with, with some sources. But at this moment, he's not involved with Elixir anymore. But nowadays, I follow the blogs of everyone who already had an article featured in Lexrader. This is at least a thousand blogs. So I subscribe to their RSS feeds and I read their blogs and there's Twitter. So everyone who tweets using the MyLixer status hashtag, I get an alert about it. The Elixir community on Elixir forum, on the Reddit community. Slack, there's a blogs channels there. So I use multiple sources, but those are the, the main ones. And I, once a week, every Monday, I go through all of those new articles and choose five of them to go into the newsletter. And also videos, actually, what we do articles and, and videos. So that's how it works. And I didn't realize, or maybe I forgot until just now that looking at elixirradar.com, which we'll have a link in the show notes. It also is a job board. So is that a, a relatively new feature or is that has that been around for a while? So no, the job board also is running for a while. It started, I think, one year after the newsletter, 2016 probably. So it's been running for, for a few years. And the idea was, since we have a job section with the newsletter, the job board is to receive, to help companies who are hiring Elixir developers to get their job openings, publish it in channels who are consumed by Elixir developers. So I remember when we were hi trying to hire people, maybe they are not hanging on Likity, which is a common channel for trying to hire people in 
different areas besides engineering. But there's a good chance that they are hanging on, like they're reading Lex Radar. So, so it, they worked together. When Lex Radar was part of Powerful Attack, once a company published a job posting on the job board, we also reposted it on the newsletter. But nowadays, since it's just by my, I by myself working on this, and I spend quite a part of my time doing that, the job board is free. But if the company wants to publish their job opening in the newsletter, it's paid. So we have both paid and free offerings in the newsletter and in the job board. So is Elixir Radar your... Is that more of your full-time work now, or is it more on live book? I'm not working full-time in live book. I'm doing part-time, but it's in my main, like, 80% of my work time is in live book, and 20% is on Lex Raider. That actually kind of sounds like a dream life, not going to lie. I mean, it sure sounds shiny from over here, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about my job. I love my job, too, but that does sound like a lot of fun. I hope it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's 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 very fun. It's different than being responsible for running a company like Platform Attack when we saw it was 70 people, lots of people. And I want to be doing stuff that is a little bit smaller and more chill and more open source. We did lots of open source things, but I wanted to be closer to the code itself and everything. So yeah, I I've enjoyed a lot of this. This and but Alex Radar, I'm doing for three years by myself, and like Blue, I joined the team on I think August, August 2022. Cool, that does lead me into my next question, which I, I have this question for both of you. What would you say is your motivation for doing this kind of work, enhancing and enriching the community? Lucas, I'll start with you. Well, for me, it's I mean, I enjoy doing Elixir itself, so whatever I can do with Elixir is good to me. But I also like to give back to the community some of what I have got over the years. Because like the community is made by the people that participate on it and that provide for the rest of the people to play around with what you're doing. The fewer the people that do this, then the slower the community will grow or to get to, to new people, in my opinion. So one of the motivations to, to say like, okay, I'm working on this instead of keeping it to myself. Instead of doing that, to share with the community has to do with that, to help other people that may have faced the same problem and to let the community build upon that piece of work. To me, it doesn't matter if it is me, the one actually contributing to the thing that maybe I started, but that other people actually build upon what you're sharing. So yeah, my main motivation is giving back to the community and then promote something that I really like. Right. So Hugo, you can't say you want to give back to the community. You have to use a different answer. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. So what I got to say about my motivation on being part and contributing to the community is that so as one of the founders of the company where the Elixir language was created, I'm in love with the language since its very beginning. So I'm very proud of this whole thing that Elixir is today. We wanted to have some kind of impact on the tech industry. And I just want Elixir to continue to grow. And I also like tech. So I think everyone here likes to play with new stuff and that kind of thing. So my motivation is keep playing with new stuff and helping Elixir to grow even more. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think impact is great. I, playing with stuff, experimenting is always, well, I was going to say always fun. It's usually fun. It can also be a little bit maddening, right? I've been kind of brushing up on event sourcing, just as an example, and trying to wrap my head around it. 
after being intimidated for a long time and it's starting to click a little bit. But I think part of that is I'm, I'm benefiting from a lot of work done in the community from just from the angle of like packages that we have. I don't have to create something out of whole cloth. I have some excellent packages that I can look at that give me a lot of features, but also have excellent documentation for how to actually use the thing. And within our community, I think Sourcer is kind of one of those packages that underpins some other features that we use and maybe don't, it's not always front of mind, but I'm kind of curious where the idea for Sourcer came from and how you've been thinking about its evolution over the past few years, Lucas. Yeah, so that's in line with what they said, like to kind of give value to the community. And one of the, the things that they like to follow is to like be the change that they want to see in the community. So one thing that I noticed a lot when I was answering questions on the Elixir Discord was that some very basic topics required quite, quite a lot of explanation for things that we take for granted once we are used with the language. And two of them were least, like how they work, because a lot of beginners do stuff like, oh, I want to add an element to a list, and they end up with an improper list because they use the plus plus operator to add an element, and that's actually this concatenation. So that motivated me to start writing blog posts explaining like from top to bottom how the thing actually works and to clear out any doubts that I may have about it. So that was one topic. The other topic was AST, to build macros or to analyze Elixir programs like Credo does, the linter library. And after writing an article explaining like, okay, this is the AST, what you can do with it, some examples and all, like a glossary of all the shapes that you can take. I got a question from Tonsi Galik, I hope I pronounced it correctly, about can we use the ASC to change the source code for an Elixir program? So from that question, I started to investigate a lot, and what I found was that at the time of I was investigating was no, because we didn't have the tools. We did have the AST, but we didn't have any existing tool to convert it back to text. And the only piece of code that could actually do it was the Elixir formatter, but all of the APIs to actually do it were private. So I started to play around and see if I could work around that limitation. And I started Sorcerer, but not by that name, as an attempt to, to do that. Eventually, I realized that it wouldn't be too hard to expose some of the formatter functionality from Elixir as a public API. And that would be like 80% of the work that I needed to do to actually achieve this goal. So I sent a proposal to the Elixir core team, and we just started to, to work to bring this functionality to the public. That involved a, lo a lot of work and some translation layers between what your AST is and what the internals of the formatter require. So yeah, we did that work, that got published, and then I released Sorcerer based on that work that I did on the Elixir formatter as a library to actually let you use the AST of your program, change it however you want, and then produce some text, which is the, the actual source code that you see in your editor from it. So that was it. It was basically a, a simple question that was asked on one of my blog posts, and that turned into a whole series of work to actually make it possible <laughs> because I realized that it wasn't possible at the time. So I think that's the definition of being nerd sniped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like someone says, hey, what about this? And then you spend six months like making a library to, to like answer the question. Six months later, that I answered your happens. question. 
this is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, I think Sorcerer is a great example of one of those libraries that also, it's a great piece of code on its own, but it also informs the direction of the language itself. I think we've gotten more compiler hooks and that kind of thing. I don't know if those are directly a result of your work in Sorcerer, but there are some other maybe language server and some other packages in the ecosystem that also kind of make demands of what we need from Elixir. And then as a result, we have more and more tools that come out as these libraries build out new features. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think a lot of the features that come to Elixir come from tools that are missing some core functionality and then eventually get started to Elixir itself. So, for example, compilation tracers were one of them, and they were eventually used for the boundary library by Sasha Huri. The function from the formatter of Okur come from Sorcerer, like the string to quote it with comments is one of the functions, and one other function to turn the DAST to, to, to code. And then there's also the code fragments API that was added while the Elixir LS people were working on auto-completions. I think it was for Elixir Sense. I think it was Lucas Samson that was working on that piece of code and informed the creation of the code fragments API. For the ones that don't know what code fragment API is, there are functions that when you say you are typing in IEX, the, the terminal, and you start writing the name of a function, then you open the parentheses. That until the open parentheses, including it, is sent valid elixir that you can parse and analyze. But the code fragment API tries to complete the missing parts of that expression so that you can get some AST that is actually analyzable and valid. And in the place where the cursor was, you get a data structure that says, okay, this is where the cursor is. And you can use that information to provide suggestions for the completion. So that was added both for the Elixir LS and also it's used to enhance the experience with IAX. I was just going to say real quick, we'll have a link to the code fragment module because that's a real thing in Elixir. So we'll have a link to that in the docs for anyone who's, who wants to go even deeper into code fragments. I'd like to add on those good comments from Lucas that I think that speaks to the innovation thing that I mentioned at the beginning that it's interesting how the community is evolving and the innovation is not being exclusively led by the language, but also by all the tools and projects. So, and the language also needs to keep up and offer and enable all of those tools. So all of this, and I think this code fragments is also, was also a need of Lifebook because we need to have auto-completion, I think was both the the language server that Lucas Hensel is working on also so we can have the auto-completion on Lightbook as well. Another good example, I think, that was needed is the new, kind of new mix install thing. So in Lightbook, we needed to, to have reproducible notebooks up to the dependencies of it. But before mix install, the only way was to have mixed projects and mixed file. And now we can just do mix install and list dependencies that we have. And you can have scripts or notebooks that have dependencies explicitly defined it. So this was another addition to the language that was needed by the tools. So that I think that's a very interesting thing though. So the innovation is not just about the language doing the innovation, but all the other projects there are pulling the language as well. And one thing that we've noticed as we've expanded this podcast to groups of people outside of the U.S. especially 
We noticed that there are communities we never even would have thought about. We talked to a number of folks in Japan, some folks in China, and then I, th- I know Kenya, we had a really fun conversation last year. I think it's already been a year since we had that conversation about different communities. So what are some interesting conferences or meetups that both of you have gone to in your local communities? Or, or have you been calling into the U.S. ones or the European ones? Or how has that been going for you all? Well, I'm not aware of many conferences or meetups of Elixir in Argentina, or at least not in the areas that I'm in. I know that there are a lot of companies using Elixir. They are mostly either in the capitals of the different provinces. And I don't live in the capital. I live like a bit far away from all the capitals. So I don't actually participate on local communities, events, if there are. But I do occasionally join some meetup, mostly from the U.S. Like I join the Ohio Elixir meetup and the Denver meetup and some event that may be organized by some company. But no, not anything local, mostly U.S.-based. You're just a short hike from Uruguay. I know there's like a small elixir contingent over there too. <laughs> yeah, I know there is. I should go. Yeah, I should go sometime. I actually never leave the country, so that could be could be a good opportunity. What's your definition of a short hike, Owen? From over here, it's just a spot on the map. All right. <laughs> <laughs> shout out Uruguay. Shout out Argentina. All right. You go. What about you? Yeah. So Elixir, I think Elixir is big in Brazil. It's kind of big in Brazil. So we do have a national conference led by community members. Shout out to Joel and to MJ. So it's like a couple, I think, I don't know, a couple hundred or 300 people. And I attended, I think, two times, gave a talk once there. So we have a big conference, national conference in Brazil called Elixir Brazil. We'll have meetups around the country. There's one here in Sao Paulo where I live called Elug. And when I also been into ElixirConf US a few times, I think three times in the past, which was very cool. My plan to go to Elixir Europe sometime, maybe next year. I don't know. But and I also want to, I still have time to go to Elixir US this year. So, Yes, you do. In Florida, early September. Not a plug, just saying. <laughs> yeah, and I, it will be my first time in a Elixir conference being part of the Lightbook team, and I'm also always curious to see how people are using Lightbook. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Japan. I, I don't know why, but there are lots of people in Japan playing with Lightbook. I follow the Lightbook word in Twitter and my Elixir status. There's always some new blog posts about using Lightbook here and there from Japanese people. It's interesting. And there, there's some kind of group there that's doing lots of cool stuff of it. Yeah, I, I say Japan because I run the DC Elixir meetup. And I'd say without fail, every meetup I host, there is one or two people from Japan. And it's never like the same person. It's always like a rotating group of people who found it. I think it's a good time difference. Like, it's like if I have it at 8 p.m., it's 8 a.m. or something. Like, it might be exactly 12 hours. But yeah, I just noticed that. So that's definitely something to look into, I think. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to send a shout out to a guy there that I don't know in person, but I, I read his blog post. It's called Real Wakabayashi, I think. He made some contributions to Lightbook and over a lot of blog posts about it. So He's a very active member of the community there. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the contributions, you know, we're thinking towards the next 10 years of Elixir. What do you hope to see from the Elixir community? 
I'm sure contributions is one of them, but how do you hope to see the Elixir community grow over the next 10 years? Hugo, let's start with you. That's a hard question. I'm working on it to help it continually grow, but how it's going to be? So there's something that's obvious, like life view and everything. But when you think about that two or three years ago, we didn't have an X and we didn't have Axon or we didn't have Livebook or we didn't have some even newer initiatives like LiveView Native. So three years ago, it was hard to imagine that we have that. So I, I, I don't know what we have in 10 years. For sure, probably new tech domains like machine learning and data processing, data analysis, and maybe native applications. But I don't know, besides that, it's very hard <laughs> to, because, you know, they are so innovative, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, yeah. I think about like community growth, especially if Elixir were as, you know, prevalent or popular as say Java or Ruby, how could the community grow in a healthy way over the next 10 years? Are there kind of ideas or like things that we can do as community members that can help with that, say for like a, a Discord moderator, Lucas? Yeah, what I think, I mean, we're all kind of bad at least in the future, but looking at how the language has evolved the last couple of years, I think that, and I'm hoping to see Elixir expanded to areas that were traditionally not the Elixir forte. Like what happened with NX? We used to say all the time, like, okay, Elixir is great, but if you need it for number crunching, then you better use it in a, a different language. And that's gradually becoming like not the case, thanks to NX and all the libraries that came with it. And the same goes from using interfaces with LiveView. And one property that I kind of mentioned earlier about all of that work is that the very foundations from them are rock solid and very well thought out. So we now have the primitives to do all of that. So what I think will happen in the next 10 years is for more of those foundational work to happen in different areas. It would be fun to know which areas, but I kind of see that happening. Like very foundational work, no? maybe not something very groundbreaking and very shy, gigantic to take over the some particular area, but yes, something that enables people to, to do what wasn't possible before. So I think that's the direction the committee may be moving or what they hope to happen. And another area that I also see gradually improving in Elixir itself and in everything around it is mostly around tooling and tools in Elixir itself to enable more tooling. Part of my work, even if it isn't Sorcerer itself and it is another library that supersedes it and is even better, but we are starting to see libraries like NIM, which is like snapshot testing library that actually changes your code with the result of the tests. And we are seeing more features and improvements being made in the area of the language editors, which is, in my opinion, kind of like the people working on that are the invisible heroes of the communities because we have such great tools being maintained by so little people. So one thing that they would like to see the community improving upon is that word around code editors and language servers and everything to make a great Elixir ID experience. Yeah, and I think on on that note, like we we internally have been using Livebook more over the past few weeks to 
flesh out, even just for like sketching ideas and understanding problems, and then also writing some documentation as we start to understand things that we're working on. Particularly as a remote team, we don't have whiteboards in front of us. We can't sketch out database schemas and I mean, we could, we could, but no, no tool really replicates standing in front of a whiteboard next to your teammate, you know? So Livebook is like right. the next best thing to be able to mock out your idea, but not have it mapped to a real module or a real Elixir function. You know, it's just, this is the idea yeah. and the rest of it's magic, you know? <laughs> and the team stuff that you're working on is exciting too. Like being able to have our team, like maybe four or five people, looking at the same live book and collaborating in real time and not having someone be the sole driver of the code. That sounds interesting. I'm kind of curious if you can talk a little bit about the team stuff you're working on and then also some kind of request for community members in terms of like the, the bigger picture. So Livebook, it's an open source project. And then so everyone can go there, install it. It's very easy to install, specifically the desktop app for Mac and Windows, just a few clicks. You even don't need, don't need to have Elixir installed, so good for newcomers as well. And what we want, we are building this product called, right now it's called Lifebook Teams, but the name may change, which is the idea is to, to build features that are focused for teams or businesses and so Lightbook, the open source project, was designed for individuals, although we have this collaboration, like co-collaboration thing there. We don't have the concept of accounts. So Lightbook teams, we have accounts. You can configure for your team, share secrets in a safe way, deploy Lightbook-based applications, your own infrastructure, and other ideas that we have, like scheduling, the notebook execution, and... It's going to be a paid product. So the idea is to use the revenue of this thing to keep investing on developing Lightbook itself. So to make the project self-sustainable in a financial way. And yeah, that's the thing right now is just a few people working on it. It's a project being created by Dashbit and, and may or may not become its own company. We don't know yet. I could see that being very successful. Yeah, I hope so. So it can work even more and live in more cool stuff on it. And so I, I had a comment regarding the, the, the 10 years thing also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please. So for the first 10 years of Elixir, we didn't have types and we didn't have a type system. And I myself didn't mind. I, I don't like actually types. I Before Elixir, I was a Ruby developer and I was very happy with not having types. And I, I wasn't very like looking forward to that until I watched the very recent presentation from Guillaume who's working on that. And then I got excited because it's not going to be bureaucratic. It's not done yet, but what he showed is very cool. So if you watch it, his presentation on Elixir Conf EU Europe, if you didn't watch it when it's live, go watch it. It's, it's very cool. So I think that the next 10 years we may have a type system and I'm excited about it and I wasn't before. So yeah, I just, just want to comment about that. Yeah, And we... Owen's going to give his plug alert. for his like fourth <laughs> time plugging this, but please do it. Wind him up. 
Yes. So stay tuned, listeners, for the rest of the season. We have the most amazing list of guests ever, but also part of our conversation is going to be around types with the two authors of this work around the type system. So stay tuned for an upcoming episode to be released a little bit later on the season. And Hugo, you can get more excited at that point. <laughs> no, it's, right, more, it's, more type content. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because lots of people, oh, I, the only reason that I don't use Elixir because it doesn't have types and I didn't get it. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't need it for like for 10 years of more of Ruby and, and the Elixir, I, I don't mind not having as well. But after watching his presentation, I got excited. I think it's going to be helpful, even for those who didn't want to have types like myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I've been happily just in dynamic land over the past several years. There have been times where in other code bases, not Elixir, where I had the opportunity or ability to kind of do type hints. And I think as long as it's, as long as we have a system that allows us to give more specificity or explicitness with, like you said, without an extreme amount of bureaucracy, I think that's music to my ears. That sounds great. So as much as I would love this conversation to go on forever, because I love talking with the community (laughs) and I love speculating on what's coming next and knowing about what's coming next and then getting to talk to some people who are, you know, in on the ground floor when it was happening. Before I take us in final plugs and ask for the audience, I do believe Owen has a question for Lucas. Lucas. All right. In the background, I've been this whole time, I've been slightly distracted because I know it's not Foghorn Leghorn on, on those paintings. What is this artwork that I see behind you that our listeners cannot see? Some kind of rooster chicken or something? Yeah, it's a rooster from a manga series called Rooster Fighter. They released a special edition for Latin America, and the creator made some artwork for different iconic locations in Latin America. So the two posters that I have on my back are the rooster on the Easter Island with all the Moriais, and the other one is the rooster with a traditional Argentinian rose, the Iguazu cataracts. So those are the two iconic places of South America. We're going to need some links. Yeah. So, A, so I can download that, make my wallpaper, and then also so our listeners can understand what we're talking about. I will say yeah, when course. I saw <laughs> when I saw the clouds, I thought it was very Ghibli esque. I'm a big fan of of Kiki's Delivery Service and Ponyo and Spirited Away, and that's what it looks like to me, like very floaty. And where they say like every part of that movie could have been a piece of art, and that's what it looks like to me. So that's really cool. All right, so we're we're at the end of this episode. We're gonna have to follow up with you all on what happens, and and then at the end of this ten years. We're going to call you back and see if, if we predicted correctly, right? <laughs> Do you have any final plugs or asks for the audience, places where people can find you on social media, or are there any libraries that you could use some help on or some support? Lucas, why don't we start with you? Well, if you want to ever talk, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Dorgan uh, with an underscore at the end. On Discord, you can, my tag is Dorgan and 0004 is the, the number. And on GitHub, I'm Dorgan, but as well, but with two O's. So it's like Dorgan. If you want to help on the Sorcerer project, you can go ahead, open issues, pull requests, or whatever you, you seem like you want to do with it. And then those are always welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Hugo, what about you? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Hugo Barona and also at Elixir underscore Raider. 
And yeah, you can also follow Livebook at Twitter, Livebook Dev, or go to livebook.dev and download it. And please play with it and tell me what you think about it. Or subscribe to Elixirator's newsletter. I know also on Slack, as I mentioned, then if you're using Livebook, please go there and tell me about it. I'm very curious about how everyone is playing with it and what they're doing with it. All right. A true balance in the world, a Slack user and a Discord user. Well, thank you again. And you didn't even have to fight about which one was better. Oh my gosh. We could have gone there. <laughs> Anyways, thank you again, Hugo and Lucas, for joining us today. We hope that we get to hear from you again soon. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Elixir Wizards is a production of Smart Logic. You can find us online at smartlogic.io and we're at smartlogic on Twitter. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This episode was produced and edited by Paloma Pichenik for Smart Logic. We'll see you next week for more on the next 10 years of Elixir. Hey, this is Yair Flicker, president of SmartLogic, the company that brings you this podcast. SmartLogic is a consulting company that helps our clients accelerate the pace of their product development. We build custom software applications for our clients, typically using Phoenix and Elixir, Rails, React, and Flutter for mobile app development. We're always happy to get acquainted, even if there isn't an immediate need or opportunity. And of course, referrals are always greatly appreciated. Please email contact at smartlogic.io to chat. Thanks and have a great day. Hi, this is Sophie. I'm very excited to be back on Elixir Wizards, even if it's for this very brief, several seconds long promo. We are very excited to be gearing up for the next MPEX conference being held in Brooklyn for the first time ever on June 9, which if you've been following any of this on Twitter, you may know is my birthday. So I'd love to see any Elixir Wizards listeners there. We have a fantastic lineup. We've got Sean Moriarty talking about how Elixir is the future of large language models. We've got our keynote speaker, Heidi Howard, who's a distributed systems researcher at Microsoft Azure, talking about the future of secure and distributed computing. We've got Andrea Leopardi. We've got so many others that we are very, very excited to bring to you guys at the event. And we've got a discount code for you. You can get $100 off your ticket with code WIZARD. So use the code. Come to my birthday. I mean, MPEX. Yeah, we hope to see you guys there. Thanks, everybody.